This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. Angrez apna lagan aur news laundry apna hafta kabhi nahi chhodte. We are back with another episode of Hafta today as we record it is the 19th of August Thursday and it is 3:30 in the afternoon. Um we've had a very uh, active news week. There has been one of the most um, what do you say world world over an event a news event that has been covered wall to wall in every country no matter Historic where you are events being played out yes saigon moment etc it's been called uh, we shall be discussing uh, that of course at length but before we get into the headlines let me just introduce our panel to you today on the hafta today in the studio are raman kripal and uh, manisha hi. pande hi uh, joining us on the phone line uh, are our wonderful colleagues jayashree from chennai hi jayashree hi and anand from patna anand you're in patna right now yes yes okay hello hi and also joining us on the phone line is kriti shah hi abhinandan her research focuses on afghanistan and pakistan where she studies domestic politics as well as the relationship with each other the taliban the us and the south asian neighborhood before she joined orf she has worked as a reporter for ndtv she graduated from mcgill university in montreal canada so uh, where are you joining us on the phone line from kriti i'm in bangalore at the moment you're in bangalore at the moment is that where you where you're from uh no i'm from delhi okay. uh, but i recently moved to bangalore so i continue to work uh, from orf from here i see most of this discussion and the hafta today is going to be dominated by afghanistan taliban america and all that went right or wrong but before we get into that uh, let's get the headlines which shall be given to us by jeshri yeah so the headlines of the week uh, the taliban swept into afghanistan's capital after the government collapsed india evacuated all its embassy staff from kabul uh, in a procedure that our external affairs minister s jayshankar called difficult the taliban has promised women's rights media freedom and amnesty for government officials in its first news conference after taking charge of kabul in the wake of the prevailing situation in afghanistan india has introduced a new category of e visas for afghan nationals to fast track their applications for entry into india meanwhile the taliban has said that afghanistan will not be a democracy it will be governed by sharia law us president joe biden has said that he stands by his decision to withdraw the troops from afghanistan he said i am the president of the usa and the buck stops with me in other news provisions of the government's new it rules for news publishers have been put on hold by the bombay high court which said the requirements violate freedom of speech this judgment will bring relief to several news websites but it's not very good news for intermediaries the supreme court in an interim order has said that women can appear for the admission examination for the national defense academy meanwhile the madras high court has said that the cbi should be an autonomous body reporting only to parliament that's a good idea i doubt it'll happen yeah. though mm. they called it an attempt to release the caged parrot uh, so the center has opposed opposed a plea against the appointment of delhi police chief rakesh astana the center said it has become a practice for so called integrity keepers to challenge such decisions by a government the supreme court has turned down a plea to stay the notification issued by west bengal government constituting an inquiry commission i think this is in connection with the pegasus nuclear yeah, case yeah basically mamta banerjee had constituted a commission with justin madan b lokur to investigate pegasus the center went to the court and said that we don't want this commission and uh, the supreme court stated basically the tushar mehta had represented the union government saying that the notification is unconstitutional 
but the government has so, uh, the so court has refused to... that a state cannot use yeah. its authority to investigate yeah. something because because it's against the constitution okay, <laughs> okay. no explanation hmm. there um because they said also that we are going to look into this i, no, no, they, uh, so, I mean uh, for that matter the center has asked But judiciary, na I mean Supreme Court that they can hmm. set up their own copy, uh, own committee of uh, experts. Ah, they said hmm. that we'll set up and our own committee can, of experts. And then they can look into. They can set the terms of uh, conditions also. But we don't want Mamta Banerjee ah. rule. But the Supreme ah. Court has stated ah. that. So yeah. Uh, in Meghalaya, petrol bombs were thrown at Chief Minister Conrad Sangma's personal residence after violence broke out over the death of a former rebel leader. This resulted in a two-day curfew in Shillong. Yeah, I saw Tension. the report. We it. did a we did report. Yeah, I saw the this. images from Shillong. I I can't imagine Shillong like that. The tension also flared up along the Assam Mizoram border after the Assam police allegedly fired on three Mizo residents. In other news, Congress's Shashi Tharoor has been cleared of all charges in the death of his wife Sunanda Pushkar. And M.J. Akbar, the former editor and union minister who was accused of sexual harassment by several women, has joined Weon, an English TV news channel run by Z Media. Mm. The Supreme Court has dismissed the Maharashtra government's plea against a CBI probe into the transfer and posting of police by Anil Deshmukh. Anil Deshmukh is the former uh, state home minister. The price of LPG cooking gas has been hiked by rupees twenty-five per cylinder. This is the second straight month of increase in rates. The finance minister Nirmala Sitaraman ruled out a cut in excise duty on petrol and diesel. She instead blamed liabilities due to oil bonds issued by the previous Congress government. <laughs> This is a mm. complete, uh, you know, uh, complete misinformation. lie. Misinformation. It's misinformation. <laughs> yes. Why? Because they themselves have raised bonds worth three lakh crore rupees. the government mm. upa used to do it when when petrol and diesel they used to sell it on subsidized rates mm. so at that time they were raising these bonds because they were not able to pay to the retailers and uh, the, after uh, the so called but after after it. after it was introduced to the market mm. uh, uh, you know and market prices are determining the this thing they have increased uh the uh, the excise by 54% yeah, because the barrel has come down ah, right and and that. also they say they, they they say that they are uh, servicing the upa bonds no because the you are paying just 8000 crore rupees per annum if you just see the entire charter that how the central government is paying mm. they are not even paying 1/10 of what they earn through the petrol revenues Revenues through petrol no, and third uh, time, petroleum products. The third time she's changed the reason uh, for the. So they're making three lakh crore per annum on this, and they're paying just eight thousand crore. So so imagine. In fact, Vivek Call has written a very good piece uh, on this, which you guys can read. Hmm. Well, the link is in the description below. Ah, uh, yeah. The Supreme Court Collegian has come up with a list of nine judges who will be recommended for appointment to the Apex Court. So India may get its first female Chief Justice of India, as three women are among the candidates. The person in question is Justice B. V. Nagaratna, who is with the Karnataka High Court. Hmm. The OBC bill was passed, and states can now maintain a list of socially and educationally backward classes. In Chittoor district, a party MLA has erected a huge museum temple and dedicated it to Andhra Pradesh Chief Minister Y. S. Jagan Mohan Reddy. Hmm. So it's not just Modi, Sonia, etc. Who are Deified. Hmm. In Tamil Nadu, 15 years after the DMK promised to allow people from all communities and castes to become priests, Chief Minister Stalin on Saturday handed over appointment letters to 24 non-Brahmins, of which five belong to the scheduled communities and one is a woman. Wow! So it's quite a historic thing. Yep. 
Uh, the toll from Haiti's earthquake has climbed to over 1,900. More than 9,900 people were injured in the earthquake that struck on Saturday morning. It was a magnitude of 7.2. And at least yesterday, when I saw the report on the BBC, it was the fifth day after this earthquake had struck and uh, no aid from the world had reached nothing. They hadn't got anything yet. So, yeah. So, and we'll end the headlines with a bizarre one. Union Minister Subhash Sarkar has sparked a controversy when he said that Rabindranath Tagore's mother refused to take him in her arms as he was dark. He said there are two types of fair skin. One is yellowish, the other has a red tinge. Tagore's skin was of the second type. He's the education. So he's the Minister for Education. And all the educationists and the historian in uh, Kolkata, they said, we have never heard of Anything like this. And he said it at Niketan. <laughs> See, I see. So this is, the, you know, people keep saying that I am too, I, I, too prejudiced against this government. The fact is that there are only buffoons in this government who are unread, illiterate, who have, as Arun Shori said, the whole cabinet combined has not read more than two books. Look, so the U.S. has been wanting to withdraw, obviously, for a very long time. And I don't think there was ever a good time to exit because it's something that they've been discussing for a long time. uh, And the situation on the ground has always been so dynamic. So I understand the compulsion of each president that has, you know, been in power during the Afghan war, be that Bush, Obama, Trump or Biden, to want to sort of appeal to their domestic audience and get out. Uh, But the manner in which Biden has gone about it uh, has been very surprising, given that sort of his entire campaign has been around, you know, human rights. We are different from Trump, champion for women causes and, you know, all of that. Because in his speech, he sort of blamed Trump. He said that I have inherited this Afghan war. Uh, I inherited uh, the peace deal, which was under Trump. He also said that I would not have, you know, done the negotiations the way it was done, but I can't really help it. And I'm not going to send American troops to fight in a war where Afghans are not willing to fight for themselves. But what the entire situation over the last week shows is not only, uh, you know, U.S.'s desperation to leave Afghanistan, but the massive intelligence failure on part of the U.S. and all of its allies uh, to see how to sort of underestimate the Taliban's power, to overestimate uh, Ashraf Ghani's uh, power, Uh, because I think it was on July 8th or 10th uh, that Biden said that the possibility of the Taliban overrunning the whole country is very unlikely. Um, So they obviously didn't anticipate it. I don't think anybody anticipated it, but it's a major intelligence failure. But why could they not anticipate it? That is something I don't get. Like, how is it they've been there for so long? They did have their intelligence on ground. Yeah, no. So, you know, in the long run, there have been, of course, a lot of mistakes. But what has happened in the past few months since the signing of the deal I think that's been one of the main reasons on how things went so bad so fast, because they had this sort of agreement that the U.S. sort of portrayed as a peace agreement, which it never was. It was only a withdrawal agreement. So you're getting into negotiations with the Taliban and you already state that, look, we are leaving the country. So without having those clauses, without sort of instituting those mechanisms in the Doha agreement, uh, they sort of just got up and left. And one of the main problems with the Doha agreement was that it also allowed, it also sort of put pressure on the Afghan government to begin freeing uh, Taliban prisoners. Hmm. 
So when the, I mean, imagine stating to the Taliban that, you know, we're leaving for sure, okay? We're going to get out really soon. All you need to do is promise us that you won't do this. And I mean, they can say whatever they want. We're not going to believe the Taliban, but apparently the US did. And now they're sort of covering up for all those sort of mistakes and intelligence failures uh, and saying that, you know, well, the Afghan government didn't put up a fight. The Afghan soldiers didn't fight. Um, and we anyway had to leave. And now it's up to Afghanistan. So it's quite, I mean, it's really a dreadful situation. So, so yeah, I wanted to come in on my perspective on whether the US has lost the war, because I definitely feel that, yes, they have lost the war. The entire situation just reeks of superpower humiliation. And this is for a few reasons. I think the US is still uh, confused on what was their aim or what was their goal when they came into Afghanistan in October 2001. Was their aim to defeat the Taliban? Because if that was the aim, they have failed. Was their aim to ensure that, Talib, uh, that Afghanistan is not going to be used as a base to launch attacks against the U.S.? That we're going to have to see in the long run on whether they were right on that. But Al-Qaeda is still up and active. Taliban's victory has sort of you know, motivated uh, groups all over the subcontinent. And there are no, the number of mistakes they have made with the security forces, like Jeshi was talking about how they've made them way too reliant on uh, you know, sort of U.S. equipment, U.S. intelligence. Afghanistan continues to be a narco state. So that's something that's not spoken about enough. But the Taliban's finance uh, is very intact. You know, even though we, it needs international aid, it can finance its operations very easily. And I think it's also important to note what Anand was saying is that the U.S. has not really didn't realize that they're not dealing with uh, a Taliban insurgency. Uh, they didn't realize they're dealing with Taliban insurgency. They just kept focusing on the Taliban as a terrorist and military threat. So they've ignored the fact that, yes, the Taliban have governance experience, that they're an ideological and political movement. They ignored the fact that the Taliban created uh, was created, supported by Pakistan. Uh, it has logistical bases across the border. It has fresh recruits coming in from training camps and madrasas. And all of this, we were talking earlier about, you know, how did this entire situation get bad so fast? The Taliban's military strategy, which has not been something that over just over the last few months, this has steadily been happening since you know, 2014, 2015, when the US ended combat operations. So they've been capturing rural areas, seizing control over large areas of land, and then steadily moving towards provincial capitals. So if there's a small village which has fallen somewhere in Kandahar or Helmand, the US has sort of ignored it that, okay, you know, there's one or two or three villages that's fallen, at least the provincial capital is safe. But by seizing control of the larger area, that has allowed Taliban to gain control of checkpoints and highways, uh, so that sort of cuts off the capital from its, uh, from I mean, highways and things which they need. So even if the army is in the provincial capital, the Afghan army, they get cut off from their supply routes. They come, the reinforcements can't come in from Kabul. New ammunition that they need can't come in. So of course, when you are stuck in the capital, you are completely surrounded. Um, uh, it just sort of the capital just become these little security islands, and then they're surrounded by the Taliban on all sides. So what are they supposed to do? besides getting up and fleeing. And that sort of leads to, you know, a domino effect that you know that this has happened in this village. So how powerful can we be to stop the Taliban? They've taken over this and they've taken over that. So that domino effect has, is what has led to the situation which is there today. And that's a fault of the US because they, they ignored the intelligence. They probably didn't have the intelligence in small districts across the country to understand how is the Taliban's influence growing? What are their tactics in these villages? So that way, I definitely think that, yeah, the U.S. lost the war because whatever their aims were, uh, whatever way you look at it, I don't see them fulfilling uh, those aims or those goals that they set out into the country for it. 
Yeah, I just want to touch on why uh, people are comparing to Saigon. So I think um, after the Second World War, the mantle of what is now the United Kingdom, Kingdom was sort of taken up by America, which much like the British Empire began causing sort of widespread harm all over the world, setting events in motion that destabilized entire regions, one of which was its ostensible crusade against communism. It claimed millions of lives. And I think the Hindu had an op-ed today, which it said uh, that's how they found it. So once 9-11 happened and went in its hunt for Osama bin Laden, America found itself in the wrong country, but remained there for 20 years. So like um, Priti said, what was the, America was confused about its aim and aim with the Taliban. So it's not really clear what America even did in Afghanistan for 20 years, because they did not establish a strong democratic state. They did not secure human rights. And now they've left. And whether they had a choice or not, no, they didn't. But now what is one supposed to do? And the second question about the Taliban being more moderate, I think um, no one really knows what's going to happen. I think there are optimistic sort of views that uh, they might be compelled to be more moderate or reasonable because this is a time where there's a lot of attention. But I think history does not bode well. Uh, I think there are indications that it would be more similar to what we saw in the late 90s. Maybe not for the next few weeks, but eventually. So we're in an uncomfortable position where I think we really can't uh, comment on it too much because we really don't know what's going to happen. So, well, I mean, I think there are two or three things that I just quickly want to, um, you know, comment on before we move on. One is that uh, I think no matter how primitive a mindset, no one can fight a certain amount of change. Like even the most, you know, primitive-minded across any religion. Like even the Pope, you know, had to kind of moderate his stance on homosexuality. So I think just the internet has changed the world so in such a profound way that the the kind of um, cocoons you could keep your ground fighters in, you can't keep them in that cocoon. So they will be influenced to some extent. How much of an extent, I guess, you know, we'll see. But what is primitive in the 90s may change a little for 2021, you know, which is why I say what we think of democracy in 2021 is not what we thought of democracy during the emergency. So that's why harking back to the emergency in the 2020s uh, to 70s, you know, the reference points for humanity has changed. So I think that may be true for this. I mean, of course, we'll, we'll need to, we'll, uh, we'll figure that out as we see how they behave. Uh, but, you know, the, the one question that I had is, uh, and, you know, Anand and Kriti, if you could come in, because I'm sure you guys have done your academic research, etc. on this. I mean, I get that America should be shat on because of the mess that they've made everywhere. And that's fine. So the two things aren't kind of mutually exclusive because, you know, one assumes that if one is to question Afghanistan, whether it's their society, whether it's the political system, whether it's their institutions, one is giving America a free pass. No, you know, Biden and America deserve all the shit that they are getting. But I don't see enough shit coming the way or questions being asked of Afghanistan. That what is the pushback from their society? Like, you know, do they have no Bhagat Singh? Do they have no Mahatma Gandhi? Fuck, they don't even have Anna. Like, dude, you know. No, but they, there's they, a resistance they, in Panjshir. They, they have had nothing. I mean, like... Surely, Biden asking that is bad optics, it's bad form, it's tone deaf. But someone should ask, what the fuck is Afghanistan doing? Like, why is it such a sitting duck for a bloody failed state like Pakistan? If Pakistan can fuck around with you, dude, you really have shit to sort out because Pakistan itself is fucked. 
is anyone asking Afghanistan that? And has any analysis gone in historically, culturally, socially? Why is Afghanistan like this? Oh, I think uh, there are two things to it. It's that uh, uh, as an exporter of terrorism, that's a global problem. And so that for that it can be held accountable but whether they have a democratic setup or not that only that only the people can hold accountable their own countries and uh, mm, mm, there are two things first is the definition of public sphere in afghanistan may be very very different from uh, in the rest of world i remember reading a long essay by a, a historian who had visited Afghanistan in early 70s and he said that 16 kilometers from Kabul he could find only three or four persons who could tell that their country's name is Afghanistan. So uh, what he meant was that the idea that we constitute one country is uh, rather rather is rather very weak and uh, uh, also the tribal loyalties are more strong and that uh, it's a very very tribal led society so the uh, grounds of political obligation are more tribal than uh, say a national government or democratically guided government uh, a second uh, thing is that, uh, as I said earlier, also the center does not hold. It means uh, you could be powerful at one location, you may be nothing at other. Also, that's why I say that uh, many third world societies, and for that matter, first world societies also, would uh, find democracy at their own pace. There is no template universal template to be applied to all. I think we, the outsiders, cannot set a template for, you know, Afghanistan. Soviets tried to do it, failed. Americans tried to do it, failed. So, I mean, if you see the history, so I think the change has to come from within. So, so as you said, I mean, internet has already changed. I mean, the Taliban cannot be the same what it used to be in 1990s. So now I think within, if, if the change comes from within, that will really be a good change uh, with so much ethnic differences as uh, Anand is saying, the tribal, uh, you know, uh, dominated uh, the, the political allegiance. So so I think the change has to come from within. Manisha, you have anything well, to add? Well, there is a northern resistance brewing in Panchir, which I don't think is going to be of any consequences from what I'm reading in the reports. But there is resistance. I don't know if I can, I'd be too judgmental of the people, you know. It's very hard once fundamentalism takes root in society and when you have a force like Taliban, it's very hard to expect ordinary acts of courage, even though you're seeing that, you know, today. But to say that why aren't people fighting Taliban or why aren't people getting rid of them, it's, I, I think it's just a very complex thing to say. Because also th uh, one of the interesting essays I read on Taliban's popularity was that in rural areas, people hated the government because it was so unjust. You know, it, it it was a system of maybe more lenient, but it was just not applicable to everyone. Taliban is was perceived as a just force. So cruel, but just. The cruelty was equally kind of distributed yeah, I mean, everyone. It's the same thing. Like, I mean, partly the India also, the kind of insanity that you see where, you know, mobs go 
wreak havoc is because you know they wreak havoc no matter who you are uh, and earlier it was just a certain elite was running the show so i mean i i get that but and once religious fundamentalism takes root i think it's very hard to uproot it and with these fighters also i mean they're a very scary force you know just seeing these guys talk the way they just i mean they're just so clear about the fact that this is jihad and we'll keep fighting till then, we die there's no fear in them and they have nothing to lose you know and then, a force that has nothing to lose that's is just a very scary force but before that i had a couple of announcements our independence day campaign thank you we have got fantastic response to our independence day campaign where we are giving a discount on our subscriptions we are giving a discount on all the nl merch that is available on the nl store so we are extending the campaign to the 23rd of august monday many of you who have ordered and are wondering you haven't received your stuff yet uh, our uh, logistics supply chain <laughs> of couriers is overwhelmed by the uh, orders that have come so do you know give us a little more time uh, but we extended the 23rd of august so you can go on to newslaundry.com and check out our independence day um, discounts and offers the link is also in the description of the podcast below uh, just to tell you what you get if you take advantage of our independence day program you can get uh and if you take an annual plan you get nl goodies free uh, depending on your subscription level you'll get a hamper free which has a wonderful sabki dhulai set uh you also get a 30% discount on all our t-shirts and our hampers if you use the discount code freedom sale that's all caps freedom sale uh, you have to be a subscriber for that and we don't take any ads as you know because if you take ads then you are accountable to the sarkar that gives you the ad or the corporation that gives you the ad so that's how we depend on you so go to newsrunner.com and check out the independence day offer also we have a fantastic recess lineup uh, for august and couple of weeks of september we have the recess the next recess on the 21st of august is with tigmanshu dhulia he is a filmmaker and he also does these little cameos in a lot of films most famously in gangs of wasipur when he gives that guy a tight slap and says chutiya samjhe ho kya hame ab what is it ab to sach bol de and then he uses an expletive So August 21st 7 p.m. we are hold, hosting the annual recess with Tigmanchu Dulia Atul of our wonderful Tipani fame will be uh, talking to him and it's it'll be followed by William Dalrymple Vishal Dadlani TM Krishnan Chetan Bhagat in the next few weeks so become a subscriber because then you can interact with these guys grab a drink on a Friday or Saturday evening depending on when we we host it and you can ask questions to us and also these guests all of you listening in the chota hafta do subscribe so you can listen to the entire hafta we will see you again next week with the hafta till then subscribe pay to keep news free because when the public pays the public is served and advertisers pay advertisers served thank you goodbye all the news laundry podcasts are available on stitcher itunes and any other podcast platform please subscribe to news laundry help us keep news independent Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.